don't listen to newspapers. Whenever you see newspaper, right, means the news is out, means it's reactive ready. You have to be ahead of the news. You cannot be after the news, right? So whenever you see a new the news come out, oh, um, oil oil price is going very high because of the Russia Ukraine war, and then you start saying, oh, I'm going to buy oil stocks. That you are slow already. Yeah, too late. Like you know, fertilizer, uh, food. You know, everybody knows inflation is soaring. And now people say, oh, I want to buy something to protect myself against inflation. Actually, it's a bit late already because now you're previously, you know, if you had bought. Before we begin the podcast, have you gotten your free ebook? It's called the Build a Six-Figure Portfolio Guidebook. Now, inside it, we share with you the tips and tricks to bring your stock investing skills to the next level. The best part, it's only 10 pages long and it's totally free. Whether you're on Spotify or YouTube, the link to download is in the description or you can go to www.firl.co slash F-R-E-E or www.firo.co slash free. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Firo Podcast, best place for long-term stock investors. Now, uh, today we will actually be speaking to someone whose investment strategy is not that long-term, but is uh, definitely way more exciting and, uh, in my view, very, very, very interesting as well. Um, I'll let him tell his story, but some context. I met him in Singapore, I think a month ago, maybe five weeks ago, something like that. And when I heard his story, I felt like, wow, I need to bring you on. Uh, bring him on to the podcast for everyone to listen. Not just his uh, investment methodology, but definitely some of his, uh, you know, beliefs, right, about money, which I find very, very interesting. But uh, before we begin, right, welcome to the podcast, Mr. Ivan Huang. <laughs> thanks, thanks, MJ, for such a generous introduction. Ah, uh, it's okay. Yeah. I, that was, uh, you know, I could have done better. But... Um, <laughs> You know, I'll let you introduce yourself. So, um, you know, we always like to begin the podcast with um, asking, right? By me asking, what is your relationship like with money in terms of how do you grow up thinking about money? What do your parents teach you about money? What do your teacher teach you about money? What do you read about money? Things like that. Okay. Oh, this is a, a pretty long, long story. Of sure. Money. Yeah. So basically, you know, uh, when I when I start, I didn't start off at a very well-off family. I mean, it was it was okay. Uh, yeah, me and my family we stayed in a three-room HDB flat in Singapore. So we were all I mean pretty decent lifestyle. I was like the uh, coffee shop guy. You know, like you go downstairs and hang around with everybody lah. Yeah. So I had uh, my mom. My dad passed away when I was thirteen years old. I see. So, yeah. Um, but it wasn't a it wasn't a great time for us. Uh, I mean financially, but uh, we, yeah, we we managed through lah. But things took, took a very bad turn in 1998, Asian financial crisis. So that kind of like uh, bankrupted my mom. Right. So and then, uh, you know, there were there were debts. Uh, it was like, you know, Malaysia, when, when my dad passed away, uh, sorry, when my dad passed away in 1996, he left us a lot of uh, shares, uh, CLOB, you know, back yes, then. Yes, the combined, right? The they, they combined, yeah, yeah. So, you know, things like Public Bank, Magnum. So, wow, like super darling stocks, everything, wow, confirm Jose, you know. Then, until 1998, you know, my dad passed away in 1996. He left a lot of shares to my mom. I mean, not, not, not that 
a lot but also with debt as well ah. so that one my mom is like a typical you know auntie la. she didn't really know how to manage her wealth put it that way and then so uh, I mean during that that Asian financial crisis when you know the Malaysia authorities declared that club was illegal so a lot of it evaporated and we started getting calls from finance companies so that was a, a, a scary time put it that way um, but it's also a time that uh, inspired me right. to to start the path of investing see back then I was 15 years old right, right. when Asian financial crisis hit so I saw how my mom had to you know uh, wait at the MRT station for a couple of hours just to borrow $50 from a friend so that was a very difficult moment um, she had to work from 2pm to 2am at uh, Philips you right. know, there was a factory factory worker you know just uh, somewhere and then I had to be at a at a neighbor's place um, right from morning to uh, to to I mean right after I got off from school I came back from school and then I just have to um, be be at the neighbor's house till midnight and all that so it's a very tough time um, and then that's where the the the, the so-called motivation behind my investing journey I told myself that or I rather I told my mom also that yeah, where this, you felt yeah, yeah I'll, I'll pick it up yeah so that was how I how I knew that I had to be in this world of investing I had to be near the stock market and things like that anyway from young I've been looking at stocks for my mom you know every time and my dad like, every time they ask me uh, you can uh, like you you don't look at teletext and they ask me to pick a stock wow. and then you know anyhow I anyhow pick all oh, that stock can go up from 60 cent to three dollars wow. I still remember the stock I think UMW or something uh. yeah so so it was like you know I just thought that wow genius but until of course the bankrupt thing happened and then after that I realized that everything the stock market is not as easy as yeah. you know what it seemed in the early 1990s or right up to 1997 I put it that way. I have a question yeah. before you go on right which was the debt yeah. that your mom had to inherit from your dad yeah. right this was like housing debt, business debt. What kind of debt was this you're talking about? It was like from finance company. You know, that time it was Tatli, I think Tatli Bank or something. Okay. It was it was borrowed to finance the the purchase of the shares. Oh, margin it's, okay. it's been yeah, it's been so long because it's always been you know very profitable. We we didn't even know the existence of this thing. I mean, maybe my mom knew, but it's been so long already. It's just been left there, and then we've been. I mean, the interest is like okay la, no big deal because the stock has been going up you know yeah. far more than that every year so they didn't even care about it even my dad passed away my you know my mom was like so occupied with everything else so she also didn't go and take note of all that and we didn't expect that the asian crisis would hit so soon after right yeah yeah so that was that was that shape that 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 started la. and then after that uh, i gone on of course i mean life is not all smooth uh, you know throughout the investing journey there are ups and downs la. Right. But uh, the the early part that, that was the motivation behind I see. how I started. Yeah. So how then did you decide to be in the stock market? Because it's one thing to realize that, you know, um now, now you have to make money for the family, but it's another thing to say, okay, stocks is the way to do it. Right, right. Yeah. So it was uh uh, a bit difficult but of course I mean I, I, I tried to do everything that I can to get close to it so I start I, I, when I went to JC you know they had econs they didn't have accounting in my JC wow. the junior college they had economics right, right. so I did economics and then when I went to um, university I did business administration um, along the way when I was 18 years old I already tried to you know learn everything about finance but I reckon that I mean you can't start in the stock market with zero right you have to earn some income somewhere so yeah, I had to become a tuition teacher. In fact, I had to do insurance mm. because I thought insurance is the closest 
you know where you can learn about finance and then you know about investments as well yeah so i went to do insurance i part-time that time and actually i was before that i was too young to get a get an insurance license to sell but uh, my my so-called mentor insurance mentor at the time said oh you can do the courses learn more about the various you know various insurance products and all that yeah so i got to familiarize myself got through all the so-called exams and then when i was when the age came i think it was 21 years old and then i got myself the insurance license to start selling part-time that's where i try to get my income from that's where i got my income from so this is 21 years old have you bought your first stock yet by then no no i haven't haven't. it was just it was just all about in fact my mom was still clearing her debts because uh, a lot of her friends had actually helped her i mean she was bankrupt but uh, a lot of friends actually uh, you know give her their cpf money and stuff like that to help her to get by and to help me to get by when i went to university you know there was this friend of my mom who gave her like um, five thousand dollars out of her cpf money just for me to buy a laptop and pay school fees and things like that yeah of course there were others i I mean unless it's too sensitive to share don't share but what was big like what is a big debt you know how big was it do you remember 200k Ooh, back back then yeah. it was massive yeah 1990 i mean massive for somebody imagine just the, i'm the only son yeah. my mom don't have any other children so i'm the only son my mom is like working at philip you know the factory not not philip security you know the hairdryer and all that stuff so as a factory worker how much could she be earning i mean like probably at most 1000 plus 2000 a month yeah. to to be able to repay 200k of debt is impossible right yeah but and then there were loans even from friends and family just to get by la. and we were staying at my uncle's house actually okay we, we didn't stay at my house anymore it was like uh, rented out for for additional income yeah okay. thankfully it was a hdb so so yeah nobody forced us to sell the hdb okay okay yeah yeah so yes so, so 21 years old you get your insurance license so you start earning income then what happened yeah and so after that, um, I, I didn't have, I mean, I didn't obviously buy my first stock right until I think I was like 24 years old. I think 2007, 2007 was a very interesting year. It was a very lucky year for me. I mean, I've been, although I was doing part-time insurance, I had been looking at the stock market. I haven't bought anything, but I just wanted to learn more about it. And then I came across this very interesting product uh, called Structured Warrants. Mm. So it's a bit like options. Uh, so it was it was a very new product, you know, listed in uh, Singapore Exchange, and structured warrants. It was uh, like a derivative on uh, underlying product, and that underlying product at the time was Hang Seng Index. Yeah. Uh, so the Hong Kong Stock Index. Yeah. And then I actually, you know, in my business administration course, I was doing finance, right? So there was this course on option pricing. Mm-hmm. So options like schools and like things warrants, like that. Right? Yeah. 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 But less the complicated part right on just very simple you go to the macquarie website uh macquarie bank website they actually have a warrants calculator for you to help you to calculate the intrinsic value of a warrant but of course you need to have some background information yeah. about that calculator yeah. works up yeah so i was very lucky this new product structured warrants on hang seng index um that time hang seng uh hong kong opened at 9 45 so between 9 to 9 45 uh, sorry, it's getting a bit technical. No, here. no, just do it. Between just go nine, ahead, yeah. yeah, between 9 to 9.45, it was just retail investors trading against each other. At 9.45, the market maker would come in and give the accurate price. So like, you know, in 2007, 2008, right, market was super volatile. Yeah. You had Dow Jones going down, you know, 3%, 2-3%, and then you have Hang Seng Index also likely to go down even more because the beta of Hang Seng is higher, right? The, yeah. the sensitivity of Hang Seng is higher. It's more volatile. So you could have a situation where Hang Seng was supposed to be down 500 points. 
Okay, and then the, the closing price of the warrant yesterday was say 10 cents. And then if you were to go down 500 points, the put warrant would go up to say 13 cents. But you had a lot of retail investors who bought at 10 cents. They were very happy to sell at 11 and a half or 12 cents. Uh, I mean, as long as I have a 10% profit, 20% profit, yeah. most of retail investors, I'm They're happy. happy yeah. I just want to take profit. I just want to sell. But if you just go to the Macquarie website and use a bit of, key in a bit of parameters, you would get that, oh, if Hang Seng were to drop 500 points, your fair value of this warrant is actually 13 cents. So that's what I did. I went in um, to buy the put warrants if they were underpriced, um, to sell the call warrants if they were overpriced. Like sometimes, you know, if you're supposed to drop three cents by the market. Some people drop one, two cents, they think, oh, it's cheap. Yesterday I missed the opportunity. Well, I'm sorry, what's the, I don't know if this is the right word, like the time decay or yeah. like the, how long is the, does, does it last usually? Okay, so the expiry is usually one month later, okay. but it doesn't matter the time decay because I usually buy between 9 to 9.45. Yeah, because it's very short term. Yeah. investors yeah. are trading, yes. And when 9.45, the market came in, I'll just sell it back to the market. It's arbitrage, or buy back basically. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And the only time when I'm wrong, when I lose money rather, is when uh, when I expect Hang Seng to drop 400 points and then um, I, I bought the put warrant at minus 300 points, but then it turned out that, you know, Hang Seng flat came out yeah. flat or minus one to So you're not in the money, is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is quite a rare occurrence. Lah. I mean, there once or once or twice you lose, yeah. but, but because, the because at that, that point in time, it made sense to buy put warrants uh, uh, because the market was essentially tanking, like out of, out of five days, four days was tanking, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, not just put warrants, even uh, call warrants. Right. Call warrants, you could short sell the call. Yeah, yeah. You could, you could sell the, the call, call yeah, out. correct. Yeah, on big rebound days, you could sell, you could, yeah, you could long it. It, it. it works, it's like four ways, you know, you can buy, sell the call, you can buy, sell the put. Yes, correct. And you had, you really had days where Hang Seng were down 1,800 points. You know, I remember vividly, you had days where Hang Seng was down 1,800 points and then you had people pricing in 700, 800 points. They were very happy already because that stupid warrant is up, sorry, that warrant is up 100%. I'm like, wow, people, Profit 100% very happy already. From 20 cent to 40 cent, they're very happy. The thing open up, huh, 80 cents. Something like that. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and, and the even better part, some because the product was so new, sometimes even the market maker got it wrong. Even the market maker priced wrongly. You know, sometimes, sometimes. Yeah, some, or that, sometimes that means the, the closing of the arbitrage opportunity was very slow la, because it was new. There was this yeah, time yeah. difference and people didn't really understand. So it's a yeah, very nice yeah. arbitrage that stayed there for quite a long time and you just taking advantage yeah. of it. La. Yes, but right. and, and that that also uh shaped my entire investment philosophy because you know that my entire uh, uh thesis or rather gains were built upon um having an edge over other people. So like I knew something more than what other people uh knew. And you know, and eventually, if I was right, then I would reap the gains. So similarly, now, whenever I invest, uh, even from then, when I invest, I just told myself that, you know, I must have an edge over others. So I would not buy things like DBS, stocks like DBS Bank, yeah. UOB Bank. Yeah, because I have no edge. Yeah. I can't even, you know, uh, I mean, who am I to match the re uh, institutional investors who are buying into all these companies? Okay. So I told myself, I will only look at small caps. Back then, uh, back then, I was, it was still very, I mean, immature, but it, it's kind of like my, how my idea was, how my investing philosophy was shaped. So I, I, I okay, so um, I would love to learn more about the evolution from then to now. But 
for for the benefit of the listeners, right? Um, the reason yeah. I decide to to invite you here is also because, right? You have one way of a style of investing that cannot be described, and it can only be understood in case studies. So, okay. Um, before we move on, actually, to case studies, right? If I remember correctly, in the car when we were in Singapore, you mentioned that this arbitrage opportunity actually allowed you to go full time investing once you graduated. Yes, yes, yes. It, wow. it, yeah, it, it was uh, like, yeah, I mean, the, insu- the part-time insurance part, I gave it up. I was just like trading, even during lectures, you know, the lecture was about to start and then everybody was looking at me and then I'm like busy looking at the computer, staring at the computer, trying to trade things. And people are wondering, what's this guy doing? You know, the class is starting, but it was just too, uh, put it away, lucrative. Yeah, and, and essentially, I even gave up a... Uh, 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 I mean, I was initially I was pursuing first class honors. I put it that way. Right. But then after that, uh, you know, I decided that it's not worth that additional time, so I give it up for trading. And then yeah, I mean, I ended up with a second upper. It was still it's it was okay. still alright, but yeah. yeah yeah it was okay. But it was pretty lucrative, such that I gave up the insurance part. And then uh yeah I ha- I had to think of ways to 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 invest the, the I mean because it was a daily trade thing. So yeah. um yeah I mean the 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 PNL came in daily yeah so right. it was pretty good. Yeah, and I, I truly thank God for, for right. that. Yeah. So we will definitely be talking about God later on, a very important subject. <laughs> but uh, I, I just want to know, right, when, when something like that happened, um, when you tell your mom that, hey, now I, I don't need a job anymore, uh, I can quote-unquote become a full-time investor slash semi-retired before even getting your first, technically your first job out of uni or even your friends and family, like what was the response like? Do you still remember? Yeah, of course. I actually this is uh, uh I mean my mom, right, she has always been very supportive. Um every time uh, uh I tell her I want to try some okay, yeah. Yeah. <笑>那去玩了,那去玩了,不要多少錢啊。那去玩了,那去玩了,不要多少錢啊。不要多少錢啊。不要多少錢啊。不要多少錢啊。不要多少錢啊。不要多少錢啊。不要多少錢啊。
during the contango crisis uh you know i obviously won't say the amount but you know you yeah, lost yeah. a lot of money yeah. but yeah maybe guys yeah. through some of your successes and failures so that we can yeah. all understand how yeah. you think about um investments or trading sure sure right so so a lot of my investments is built upon having an edge over others yes. um, knowing something that people don't know so i look a lot at uh, small caps micro caps and what I mean, if you just look at financial statements, that's what everybody can see. A lot of people have superior accounting background compared to me. So what can I know that people don't know? Uh, one, um, liquidity. So liquidity, stock liquidity. A lot of people are only comfortable with very liquid mm. companies so that they can get in or out fast. Um, I told myself it's okay. I have a, a long horizon. I went, I was young and I'm still young, so I can afford to have a longer horizon. I can go into spaces where it's more illiquid, where and also illiquidity has has a has a benefit to it because the institutions don't want to go in. Right? Yeah. They can't go in, right? Yeah, their their mandates don't allow them to go in. So I I reckon that that's where the most retail investors are. So that's where I stand a bigger chance. So number one, I go into more illiquid companies. Number two, I go into smaller companies. Number three. Um, retail investors typically don't have access to management or don't meet management. I thought that if I could meet management myself, uh, I could gain some insights. Uh, not insider trading though, right. but just gain some insights about the, the personality. Business, how, yeah. yeah, the personality and how it's developing. In fact, it helped me a lot uh, in the past 10 years because of, you know, as cheap in Singapore, there were a lot of Chinese companies that went bankrupt because of fraud. If you just look at the balance sheet, you know, the companies can have, uh, you know, uh, two, three hundred million of cash, no debt. The market cap is only half of it, hundred million or even sometimes 50 million. And then people think, oh, this is dirt cheap. I should be buying, you know, and uh, actually that's what I did in the early, early years. Uh, I'll, I'll say more in detail later. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that's where getting to know management is so important because you get to differentiate the honest uh, uh, management with integrity and, and those who uh, look more fishy and, and you know right. the, the chances of fraud is higher yeah so uh, so based on based on all these criteria yeah maybe I'll just uh, share an example yeah. about uh, maybe a steel company uh, uh, D-Long uh, back in the early uh, between how do you spell it sorry D-I-D-Long D-E-L-O-N-G D-Long okay Okay. D-Long, yeah, D-Long, D-Long. It's no longer listed in SGX because it's been taken and, out. And just to yeah. be clear, your big focus uh, un, uh, for the longest time was in SGX, la, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Al- always in always in SGX and nice. always small cap, typically uh, with China businesses because yeah. that's where most people avoid it, Yeah, like a plague. Yeah, so this, this D-Long company is a steel company. You know, steel prices have been uh, so depressed uh, before 2017, 2018. You know, since 2010 to 2017, there was yeah. a massive overcapacity in China's steel industry. Nobody liked the steel industry. Uh, so D-Long were making uh, losses and all that. And then it's an S-chip. It's an S-chip. Uh, yeah, management uh, stopped dividends because of the losses. So I, I looked at this company and then, uh, you know, in... Uh, Chinese companies, sometimes the founders, right, it's very important, right? So I, I searched the profile of the founder, this guy called Ting Li Guo, right? He's actually a Chinese Ren Da Dai Biao. You know, Ren Da Dai Biao is a bit like the MP or, or minister, maybe minister in Singapore, where they participate in the political decision making. Yes. And then as I search uh, more about this guy on Baidu, uh, not on Google, you, you get nothing on Google, you get yeah, a lot yeah. more info on Baidu. You search a lot more, you realize that, oh, this guy is a Ren Da Dai, he's a, he's a, 
authoritative figure where he's where he is. He mixes around with people like Jack Ma and all that, right. and then hangs around with them. And then his net worth is huge. And uh, when I when I interacted with him at the AGM as well as uh, you know when we went to uh, uh, yeah I, I frequent uh, China to visit the management as well. Uh, but for for this thing Li Guo, I didn't I didn't visit him uh, Just to be clear, yeah. So when I met him at the AGM in Singapore, he gave me the idea that he was a very honest guy, um, with integrity, yeah, and definitely not a as cheap fraudster kind of person, right? Yeah. So and then when steel prices turn up, right? I think sometime in twenty seventeen or something twenty eighteen, steel turned up very uh, uh steeply. It went up very high. The company was making. 80 cents of profit uh, full year earnings but yet the share price was only trading at 40 cents that's Why? crazy yeah. yeah but everybody thinks it's a fraud but that's because it hasn't paid dividends for the past 10 years granted um, it, it hasn't been doing well people look at it it's an S-chip it's fairly illiquid Th- there was nothing going for it put it that way except that the, the earnings were so good and you know what they did even declare the dividend because it, it has quite a lot of debt it didn't even declare dividends the year it was profitable, you know, 80 cents. So, but through the interaction with management, I realized that, hey, um, you know, this is an honest company. Uh, by the way, their second largest uh, shareholder was Evras. Uh, it was like a, it's a Russian company owned by Roman Abramovich. Oh, yeah, owner. ex-Chelsea, yeah, so ex-Chelsea. Yeah, ex-Chelsea, yeah, ex-Chelsea. So, so there was a bit of, um, you know, uh, celebrity background inside that that thing as well, but it doesn't work lah. Celebrity background not so important yeah, yeah. Just a bonus. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll describe why later. Yeah, so this was a success story. I mean, they 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 earned eighty cents. They are, the next year I think they earned in excess of a dollar or things That's like crazy. that. That's crazy. Their NAV was like ten times the share price. The NAV was like four dollars plus. You know, when I first look at it, it was thirty something cents, forty cents. Eventually, it was taken private at eight dollars, something like that. Wait, wait, yeah. sorry, sorry. You were looking at it at 30, 40 30, 40 cents. 40 cents. Yeah, eventually, obviously, I, I didn't write that, that, that whole the, the $8 thing. Uh, definitely. Right, not. right. Yeah, but I mean, that's just a, a classic example of the kind of companies that I look at. Yeah. Wait, so I'm just trying to understand. So if the NAV is 10 times the share price, which right. is 40 cents, right? The share price. Yeah. yeah. So it's $4 NAV, and the management decided to take it at two times NAV. At $8. Uh, no, no, because uh, after that, the next three years, steel prices went. Super right, high. so the NAV and went up they, a lot, also lah. Yeah, the NAV went up, so I think they took it. They took it private around right, one time. Anyway. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was. I mean, they took it out at fair value. Right. Uh, that, that was just one of the examples. I, I have to, In fact, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Continue, continue. Uh, no. Yeah. In fact, in that in SGX, even now, um, it's not so difficult to find companies trading at twenty percent of uh, NAV. Yeah. You know. Uh. Yeah. Even 15 percent. Recently, I just saw one. Uh, Fu Sing. Uh, yeah, group yeah it's actually you know it's looking to list in nasdaq uh yeah but it's trading at one one uh you know 15 percent of nav and then yeah something like that so uh i want to move on to other examples obviously but sure, i sure. just yep. sticking on this one right uh how do you tell that the management was like of a certain integrity because i don't think that's very simple right Okay, so this one I got to bring in another example. So mm-hmm. that Ting Li Guo one was fairly simple because he's Renta Tai Piao, right? So he his wealth and all that doesn't, you know, why would you be fraudulent, cheat a company of uh, uh you know forty fifty million dollars when back home your your net worth is in excess of few hundred million yeah, or billion? Yeah, yeah. So this one, this Ting Li Guo guy was easy. I I knew that he wouldn't fraud. So there's this another example. I would say uh Anchun, uh this company listed in SGX, uh he's still he's still listed. 
so when I visited the management, uh, they were very happy to to meet me. I mean, not all management wants yeah, to meet yeah. retail oh, investors, right? They'll think that hey, don't waste my time, lah. You know. So when I when I when I spoke to them at AGMs, they were always very welcoming. Hey, 欢迎，随时欢迎你来湖南长沙找。Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, office of Hunan Changsha. Yeah, so I went down. Um, uh, I mean, I arranged a meeting with them. I went down, and then they were very um uh, hospitable. Um, we we had uh lunch at the canteen. Uh, okay, these are the little details. Okay, like say for example, when I when I went to the canteen, the management and all that, all the executive directors all had their lunch there. Okay, nobody had, and they were all eating together with the other workers. Same table. Two hundred workers. All the same yeah, table. Yeah, same table. Everybody. In fact, guess what? The the chef, the kitchen chef, was like the wife of the executive director. So I was like introduced. Hey, this is who? Uh, 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 Zheng Zhong's wife. Uh, Zheng Zhong's wife. She is the one who cooks the food. Ah, you today eat the things. You today eat the things. These are all Zheng Zhong's wife cooked. Oh, it was, it was like a very family environment where everybody, you know, greeted each other. And even the officers didn't look like very. It was those very uh, yeah. well decorated, very nice kind. No, it was just very simple, very down to earth kind of uh, environment. So, yeah. And then when I spoke to them, they were very sincere. They 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 like did a presentation for me. In fact, I mean seriously, why would they even? Some people might question. Hey, maybe it was prearranged. They just want to you know make a good impression to show you. But seriously, I didn't even have much stake in it. And why would they want to enter? What benefit would they have? Uh, to 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 make me think that their stock is good. Even if I were to keep buying up their stock, it doesn't change much. You know, I'm just a, a retail investor who who put in just a small figure. I'm not like a substantial shareholder kind of. Profile, yeah, yeah. So there's totally no benefit for them. It, it was just purely out of a uh, warm, their warm hospitality and their very nice uh, personality, lah. But right. I've got to say, yeah, sometimes a、uh, a good management in terms of integrity may not translate to、uh, immediate profit. Of course, but but you know when the industry turns and their business improves, then that's where you see the so, real. Yeah. So speaking of that, right, the industry turn. So you discovered the Dilong. Circa twenty、right. sixteen, I'm guessing twenty seventeen. So yeah. I guess the question that I'll be asking and wondering, and a lot of people will be wondering, is like, what gave you the confidence that the industry will turn, or is it purely just it's so cheap, and the management has such high integrity that that alone gave you enough comfort to build a position? Right. So typically, I would be able to research on the company fundamentals. So, for example, for the steel company, you would be able to research on the daily steel prices. And then, um, for uh, like recently, I was invested in a container shipping yes, business. Yes, I'll ask you about that later. Yeah, 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 yeah. Drive out shipping. So all these rates, drive out rates, freight rates, they are pretty transparent. You can actually look at it. You know, every day. You don't have to look at it every day, but. You can actually spot the turn and 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 find out the fundamentals. I mean, investing is never easy, right? It's not like you can just sit there, meet management, talk to them, and then have a lunch break with them, and then you can make good returns.、No. Of course, there has been a lot of、uh, background research as well on the company. I mean, what are the circumstances surrounding the company?、Um, like, you know, is it poised for the upturn? You know, like even the freight rate upturn, right? Recently, you got to differentiate between companies who have charter rates expiring. You know. Back、right. then, for them to renew at high rates,、Correct. and then you have some companies who are stuck with very long charters right until maybe twenty twenty five with very low charter rates. Then it, then, then it doesn't matter, company, yeah, because they really yeah, lock in their their prices really. Whereas yes, those yes. that have、uh, that are have shorter ones can keep renegotiating to account for the market、right. uh, gyrations. Ah,、uh. 
Yes, yes. And then, of course, there are different kinds of management philosophy. Certain management, they always like to pay out dividends. Then these are companies that will raise their dividends when their profit is good. Some companies, they like to keep their keep a lot of the money for reinvestments, reinvestments like, you know, the free rate is good, but then they want to order new container ships mm. or new driver of vessels, right? And then it keeps reinvesting and reinvesting, and then you don't really see the money. Uh, unfortunately, there are a few listed companies in in Singapore or actually everywhere la, yeah. that are like that as well and Singapore investors actually hate that um, you know if you keep reinvesting and don't give dividends the Singapore investors don't yeah. really care how much you earn they will just treat it all as fraud la. yeah because they, they, they because you guys have a plethora of uh, REITs right so yeah. they're always comparing hey, how come they pay you don't pay right yeah yeah, yeah. And, and retail participation is not that high uh, I would That's say at, at AGMs I always see uh, people in their late 50s you know early right. 60s those are retirees you know if you you ask them to reinvest in the business for the next 10 years no way yeah. you know they have to, and if the share price don't re-rate because of the way Singapore market is then obviously uh, it has to come through dividends la, before, yeah. before that and then of course the way I invest uh, these are these are catalysts in terms of business upturn there's also certain catalysts in terms of uh, you know like special events like maybe the company is uh, looking to dispose of uh, a hotel spin-offs, or something yeah. spin-off yeah so there was there was this company like hl global it's actually part of the hong leong group so mm. i don't even need to need to check on the the the, the integrity of management right it's part of hong leong group they wouldn't commit fraud right if not the whole hong leong chain yeah correct correct yeah so this this company hl global it was trading at seven cents per share they were actually trying to sell their hotel in in i can't remember was it in shanghai or yeah, they were trying to sell a hotel for 70 cents per share cash. They were trading at 7 cents, mind you. And someone, and, and, they, they found a buyer for the 70 cents. Yeah, they, they, they actually, if you go to, if you buy to search, right, they put it on this uh, auction website, you know, Chinese, because it, it is, they co-own it, co-own it the, the property with a, a state-owned entity. So in order for this China state entity to sell their stake, they have to put it on an auction for people to bid. So they, with the moment I saw them listing it on the auction for 70 cents, then I was like, wow, this company, even though it's been in the watch list, even though it's illiquid, even though it looks like it's going bankrupt, but if it has something that it can it dare to put on auction for 70 cents, surely even nobody bid 30 for 70 cents. 30 cents also happy can, idea. Right? Ah, 30 cents also can sell, correct. Yes, exactly, exactly. So that's, that's, that's what I call a special situation. Wow. So then that's when, uh, then of course I will go in, but then obviously you have to be earlier than other people. So because I'm competing with only retail investors, right? The institutions don't want, don't want right? The, to them, the institutions, even if you can make 200K from that stock, they, 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 they can't touch it and they don't want to touch it. Yeah, but for us retail investors, that's fantastic really. You know? Yeah, so there were, there were shares available to buy at 7 cents, even up to 10 cents, 15 cents. Yeah, when the announcement came when, that they managed to sell, find a buyer even, with quite a bit of difficulty though. They managed to find a buyer and then the whole thing was, was sold. La. Right, for 70 cents actually. In fact, they, 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 they tied in, they put another hotel in it. The, the whole thing was sold for, for more than that. Wow. Yeah. But again, now the, now the company is back to uh, a share price of 25 cents when it has cash of 60 cents. Because again, after they sold that thing, right, they kept all the money, only paid 3 cents dividend and that's it. So for, for me, my timing to buy was before they announced the sale and to sell when they announced the sale because I wasn't confident that the right. management would would give, remember the part about different management philosophy right yeah. some would give out, out dividends, some yeah. would yeah. keep out keep it right so I was a bit worried eh? 
what if this dividend is the this management is the one that keeps all the the, the thing and true enough they, they keep saying that they want to uh, find opportunities for investments and it's been like three four years and they've been keeping it there so the, the again the singapore market you know if you do this they will punish you your share price will go to half wow. of cash yeah again there's no fraud but you got to just to prepare to hold you know hold it yeah i mean for as long as some catalyst appears now. right and yeah. just to recap right you you were looking at it at seven cents seven cents yeah and i bought it straight to 12 cents i mean i didn't care right seven cents is too illiquid it's, you know you take days you accumulate 10 right. 20 lots kind of thing 10 20 000 shares then i uh, never mind i offer 10 cents round number sure got more people sell to me uh, true yeah. enough and then after that 12 cents then more people sold. you were pushing so, the price added, up basically yes yes, yes. right uh, it didn't matter right at the end of the day yeah it, it went to like 40 50 cents wow uh, the high was 60 cents actually that's that's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, but this, this is a kind of yeah. uh, and I know one thing interesting about the way you invest is that you like to actually bet quite big, right, for your investments. Mm. That's very rare. Because you know in the in the group of friends that we have in Singapore, yeah. uh, you know, just to name a few like people like Eugene yeah. and Sergeing, yeah. uh, they've done really well, but what they like to do is they like to spread it out very very widely, right? Like I think Sergeing yeah. has something like 45, 50 stocks, something like that. Sure. And they've done well. And the last I remember you saying hey, uh, five is really a lot, you know. Uh, I suppose you were saying this. Yeah, so share share with me okay. that philosophy because that's such a rare philosophy, right? Okay. Uh yeah. So I uh, I may be wrong, but uh, okay, I, I have a very gassy mentality, okay. I'm very scared of losing. Maybe because of my mom's bankruptcy and all that. So I I so far I haven't acquired the skills of growth investing, which is what I'm looking to acquire when I, you know when I when I when I hang around with uh, people like Eugene and Eugene and Sergi. I mean they have a set of skills which I really don't have. Um, I can't see the future as they do, like you know how Tesla might become a robot, uh, you know robot taxi business and all that. Yeah, I'm not going to that. Like, I I really have no idea about it. So personally, I I need to see solid assets. So I never invest in anything that. I, I don't think that I've ever invested in anything more than 50% you know price to NAV yeah wow, I don't think I've wow. ever done it I maybe at most 50-60% but they must have a very good reason why it's 50-60% to me is very expensive really wow. price to book yeah so it's okay. always been my my style that way so I always look at the assets whether they have undervalued assets whether they have assets that are I always like assets that are that are uh, priced at uh, or rather in the books at historical cost it's not marked to market and then you have a lot of uh, wait wait, wait so at historical cost and lower than that some more that's yeah, ultra exactly. wow <laughs> exactly exactly I, I always say I like to buy stocks that are severely undervalued and I sell them when they're undervalued yeah put it that way so so when when I mean maybe uh, maybe the other the easy way to be use an example so like uni asia you know like you mentioned the free rates were surging right were going up yeah um their, their nav was two dollars seeing the share price was 60 cents and yet you know with with the free rates that are that are going up i could see that they could earn like 20 30 cents per share so then with a with a decent dividend payout and all that i i couldn't see how much i could lose on that 60 cent purchase price with a two dollar nav and surging a very good profits in a year yeah so that is it's the downside actually i'm always thinking about the downside so Another company that I look at that I have now is one of my very rare few like four or five stocks now, Bun Center. Uh, it actually owns Westin Bun in Shanghai. You know the Westin Bun is very. This iconic. is a is this a SGX stock? 
Yeah, it's actually a list. Barnes, B A R N, is it? Uh, no, B U N D. B U N D. Okay. Oh, like Ban. Okay, okay, okay. Ban, you know, Shanghai Tan. Yeah, Shanghai Tan. Yeah, Ban. Yeah, so it it owns a a Ban Center Westin. The although you look at the book, the book value says sixty cents. Okay, the share price is fifty cents. No big deal, right? That's that's the book value. But actually, if you look at look deeper into their annual report, when they do a valuation of that building, that Westin Ban is worth two dollar fifty cents per share. Sing. SGD. I mean, you can go and to Google and probably find the per square footage price as well, right? Don't even you go 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 to the annual report. Annual report they, they enough. A, okay. Yeah, they review it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this is one of the obvious cases, but it's cheap because firstly it's illiquid, uh, and then there's no catalyst, uh, Put it that way. But they are net cash. They have twenty cents net cash. They pay out about two to three cents of dividends a year. Share price is fifty cents. So for me, my mindset is this: it pays a five percent dividend yield, right? Um. It is trading at one fifth of NAV. I call it severely undervalued. I can wait. the The market will continue. The dividend yield will continue to be paid. Their business is slowly just owning the asset and renting it out for income. So it is very unlikely that you know they will not. They will go into a loss making position. Except that during COVID, I mean the the hotel business wasn't doing so great. But even then, they didn't make losses. Yeah, and then because their their uh, asset was carried at um. Historical cost. So you know, if your asset is carried at historical cost, you have depreciation, right? Yeah. So yeah. every year you see depreciation as a charge in their expense, you know, in their P and L. So which makes their P and L under so yeah. their P and L yeah. is actually much higher than that. Yeah. So for me, what's the downside? Net cash twenty cents, NAV two fifty, paying a five six percent dividend yield, share price fifty cents. I cannot see it going down fifty percent. If I see it going down fifty percent, I will be tempted to buy a lot, a lot, a lot more. Right, that's that's my philosophy for this stock. Now, if I were to buy Amazon, as great a company that it might be, I really have no idea, five years, ten years from now, what Amazon is like. I don't even know about their business, like you know what most people have been talking about, the surging that their, their their cloud business or whatever. I have no idea. And and if another guy say I don't know Apple or or, or Alphabet suddenly decides to go into the business of Amazon and fight them out. And then I don't even know. I don't have the expertise to to say who will win this war, you know. And at the end, one of them may win, and and who knows? Amazon might collapse. A part of my lack of understanding, okay. And Amazon sure, sure, can, sure. It's just I, from I, your I, perspective, lah, right? Yeah, I'm just so bad at all these things, or at all these things that I don't. I can't even predict. I don't have the skills to predict what Amazon will be like in five years time or three years time. So I don't dare to touch all these stocks, and I I don't want to be diversified. Also because every stock that I own, I make sure that I know them very well. I know the management very well. There's no chance of fraud. I mean, if there's a chance of fraud, no matter how cheap the financials yeah. look, there's no point, right? At the end of the day, they, this company can earn, uh, can be zero point five times PE, but then they 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 keep all the money, and then actually there are a lot of ways that they can uh, legally uh, siphon out the money by making acquisition, yeah, uh, transfer pricing, and all that stuff. Yeah. So there's no point in investing in all these companies. So I make sure that I really have to understand the management well, know that if the business has been doing badly. Why has the business been doing badly? Is it because of incompetence, or is it because just the industry has been so bad? So, like the steel example, it's just overcapacity, right? The dry yeah. bulk container ships. It's been such a bad like decade. It's not something management know? can control, lah, right? Yeah. So, so it's something. So you have to do the research and know that okay, these are not the management fault. Management is great. The company is there now that there's this turning point, you know. We, we and and before the rest of the people in the market, all the other retail investors get to know about this turning point and get to know how honest this management is, or when they pay out a, a good dividend, then that's where that's where I I put in my entry. 
that's why I go in lah. Right. That way, and and you can't be having forty companies and track all of them daily. Sure. You know, like when I own Uni Asia a uh, dry bulk shipping stock, I literally look at the dry bulk the dry bulk freight prices every day. Yeah. Actually, don't really have to like every week also can, but yeah. Sorry, it's just I just have this temptation. I have to log in every day to see how it's doing, and then just make sure that the rates don't crash overnight, and everything is still going well. And then if it's going well, then the share price, you know, I I can make a comparison and determine yeah. whether is it a good time for me for me to buy in or and sell I, out. I know you closed the position at a what was the percentage gain again? I think it was. Uh, Close to hundred percent. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So uh, yeah, before was, yeah. yeah before I move on to like the ch- the the I guess the 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 stocks that didn't do so well, right? Um, like how do you advise people who listen to what you do and think you know I think I want to try that, but how do they deal with the volatility? Because when you have so few stocks, right, the potential for high volatility can be quite crazy, right? Yes. Um, I would say it's about. Uh, being comfortable with what you invest uh, in a lot of people they when they like to see I mean okay I monitor the share price every day right um, sometimes I actually feel happy when the stock price drop because you you know that you have spare cash to buy in more you know like if it's, if, if it's cheap like the bun center I say right if it's 25 cents then it's even better right I mean this has been a lot of people already know this it's, it's the psychology. I, I, I always think that in, to be successful in investing, you must have the psychology for it. And you must have the spare cash. When I say spare cash, means you, because it, the nature of the investments in illiquid companies, don't, don't, please don't buy in and say that, you know, anytime I want to get out, I want to get out within a day. No, yeah. usually when I, even when I find a position that I want to liquidate, it probably takes a month to wow. liquidate. A lot of people are not comfortable. But, Think about it. Um, how how do I say when 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 people buy Amazon or even buy an insurance policy, for example, a savings plan that gives them three percent, they are locked in for 10, 20 years, right? And they are perfectly comfortable. And you know, if you liquidate after five, you liquidate an insurance policy after five years, you actually lose like fifty percent of your yeah, whatever that yeah, you put in. Yeah. yeah. But people are still very comfortable. They think that people are slow burn. Uh, they prefer a slow burn than a fast yeah, burn. Yeah. Then they think this insurance policy very safe. What uh, won't lose money. Uh, two three percent. Over 10, 20 years, they are very comfortable investing. But if you tell them to invest in an illiquid company, you cannot. The one very uncomfortable. Then, of course, the other thing is you have got to put in more research. Do yeah. really have to put in time and effort. La. Nothing comes for free. Definitely have to put in research. And uh, it also experience counts. Yeah, I mean, uh, between identifying manage good and bad management, uh, looking at financial statements to be able to know um, what kind of financial statements look fishy to you? Like, you know, there may be some uh, hanky-panky going on behind, um, things like that. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, so we've heard a lot about like the, the success stories, the right? happy ones, yeah. yeah. So yeah, let's yeah, learn yeah. a little bit about the yes, less yes. happy one, right? Because yeah, yeah. I, as, as I'm sure you agree, like yes. we learn from our failures a lot more, right? Sure. So yes, yeah, yes, share yes. with me some of your top uh, failures and then subsequently okay. learning yeah. lessons as well. Yeah, I have two to share. One is a company, that I bought in in 2007 or 08, I think. It's called Oriental Century. It's an S chip. Back then, it was an education company. Mm-hmm. Their largest shareholder was Raffles Education. Oh. Raffles Education back then, uh, from year 2000 to 2006, I would say it's like a Singapore darling stock. Everybody, wow, Chiu Ha Singh is doing great. I mean, he's steering a company to higher and higher profits, paying good dividends and things like that. The share price is going up. So very good, right? Then they went to invest in this Chinese education provider. Now, put yourself back in 
year 2006, 2007, you know, when China was developing so rapidly, yeah. right? But, and then all the parents were so eager to send their kids to private school. So the education business was like booming, right? The industry dynamics were so, so beautiful, put it that way. Everything was fantastic. And then there was this, this guy, Oriental Century, this company trading at five times PE, you know, um, <laughs> look like close to net cash. You know, when I first bought, I think it was close to net cash or a bit more than net cash. Lah, but I thought, hey, never mind. Lah, you pay a bit for the business, but it's such a fantastic business, right? And then um, after a year or so, then the share price started dropping, 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 like from a dollar all the way down to what, 25 cents? And right. then it had like 40 cents of net cash or something like that, if I don't remember wrongly, 40, 50 cents. That was like 15 years, 14 years back already. Yeah. So it was like trading a half net cash, Raffles education is inside, it's education business, what can go wrong? And then maybe the share price dropped because towards 07 and 08, it was very volatile, you know, US dropped a lot. Yeah, so yeah, I didn't yeah. really uh, put so much attention to, you know, what are the other potential reasons. So I just, you know, uh, just kept buying. And you know, the, the concentrated nature of my investments, right? I really put in a lot. And back then, I think I only had like really three, four stocks. And this was one of them. And uh, also, I was very proud. Um, it was the first time I was a top 20 shareholder, I believe I share with you. It was the first time I was a top 20 shareholder. And then annual report, right? Back then they print on the annual report, the book, top 20 shareholder, my name appeared there. Wow. Happily took the annual report. Uh, imagine, okay, I go to my mom, my face is glowing. Hey, mother, you see, in 1998, whatever you lost in the Asian financial crisis, your son you know, right. I I have succeeded. Now I have managed to earn back what you have lost. Remember the debt was about two hundred plus k, right? Oh, by the way, I, yeah, I, the 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 amount money I had inside that stock was two hundred plus k as well. Wow. So I showed her. You see, I'm in the top twenty shareholder. You come with a coupon, you know, equivalent to that time. You change bank的嘞，上次你change bank的，哇！So she was so proud of me. I was so proud of myself, you know. But arrogance, arrogance, put it that way. I didn't do due diligence on the management as well. I just took it that because Raffles Education invested in it, so the company is legit and all that. Well, turn out, uh, it was a fraud. So the, the 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 guy took away all the money inside the bank account, spent it all on his own family or whatever. He and there was no repatriation a law or whatever lah. So he's still living happily back there with the, you know, fraudulent money lah. And the company is gone now. Right. Yeah. So, so that it went was, to zero lah, basically. It went to zero, that one went to zero. So that was, that that taught me a lesson. Uh, never trust in those so-called, uh, just now I mentioned about celebrity investor, yeah, right? Yeah. So what if the guy has a very high profile investor? I mean, the investor could be wrong also. And then, really get to know the management yourself really nothing beats you cannot trust anybody else except yourself so if you yourself can meet management talk to them and then despite that you still get fooled by them right then too bad lah then really both pain lah just a skill lah you just have to improve uh, on you know yeah it's still a, a, a kind of experience gain but so that was like my biggest learning uh, experience really do it yourself trust yourself don't trust any other people financials don't tell you the whole story they are only just the like for me to say, okay, I can look at this company and yeah. next move on to the management. Yeah. So that's my number one failure. Uh, that was that 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 actually I'm very happy about right, because right. It, it subsequently it shaped me and and how I how I went on to invest in other companies. Yeah, of course the second one is more recent. Uh, twenty twenty. Yeah, I think about it as well. Uh, the day Oof. oil futures went from zero. Uh, went from yeah positive to negative forty five dollars. It was a futures contract. And uh, expired on expiry date is that day itself. 
So I couldn't hold the, the contract beyond. When I saw, you know, I've never traded in oil futures before. That day when I happily saw oil futures at minus one dollar, I'm saying, wow, siao ah. You know, like, wow, not, where got people, you know, you, you're buying something at negative, you know, like, even you go back to zero, oil become free, I still make a profit, a very good profit, you know. And uh, also, okay, partly I, I need to say that in the first three months of 2020, because of the pandemic, right, I had made quite good profits on my trading. So I was I was a bit big-headed, lah, put it that way. I was like, hey, wow, trading is quite easy to earn money. Ah. So uh, especially the pandemic, it was like in three months, I earned a lot more than what I had in previous years, lah, put it that way. So after that, I when I saw oil at minus $1, you know, I was like, the greed came in, the arrogance came in. So I said, never mind, I'll just go in and buy. At most, my cut loss, negative $10, uh, I lose half of the profits I made in the past three months from January to March. So I put in the trade at minus one. Uh, when it went to minus five, whoa, bigger opportunity, buy some more. And when it went to minus 10, uh, that's when, you know, futures, they move so fast. When it, when it went to minus 10, I only had like 10 seconds of time to think about it. That's and then even before I could react, right? And, and the emotions, can you imagine? You, re- you earn so much in the first three months, suddenly you, you, you lost half of it. And it was still a, a, a big amount, okay? It's, it's really a big amount. And I was like, uh, the whole emotions got over and then I just clicked buy somewhere. And then, uh, yeah, eventually, you know, I cut loss at minus $30. I suffered a huge, huge loss. I lost everything I earned in the first three months and much, much more. Um, yeah, and if I it had gone to my, if I had not cut loss, if I had not regained some sanity at that point, I would have uh, bankrupted myself, and then my kids wouldn't be able to go to the school that they go to now. Uh, I'll have to tell my wife the next morning that you know the house will be sold. Can you imagine? I, actually, this scene I repeat to myself very frequent, uh, every day. Uh, I, I mean, not say every day lah. Every now and then, because I want to remind myself, no matter what happens. Don't get big headed. Don't be arrogant. Don't think that confirm correct one. Oil at minus forty five dollars. Eh, what what logic is there? You know, ever since nineteen twenty, oil has never seen anything less than eight dollars. But on that very fateful day in April twenty twenty, oil went to oil futures went to minus forty five. Why would I mean for the benefit of uh, listeners? Why can something be at minus? You know, negative forty five dollars because there wasn't enough storage space for all the oil. Because of COVID, all the oil was stuck. There was so much excess inventory. You know, you had to pay much more than forty-five dollars yeah. just to store that barrel of oil. That's why oil became minus forty-five. You can people will pay you money if you have that storage space. Unfortunately, that storage space is somewhere in US. I don't have. I can't store oil, so I had to take the loss. Uh, and yeah, and that was a, a a huge loss. And it taught me a lesson. No matter what, don't get big headed. Be humble. You know, uh, yeah. It's, if you don't know, if you don't know about, if you don't really know that thing well, don't think that people are stupid enough to, to give you free money because no one is stupid enough to give you free money. It's yeah. only because back to the philosophy. It's only because you have the edge over another person. That's why you can earn that money. If you don't have an edge and you expect people to give you free money, then something is very wrong. Then you yeah. have to question that 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 investment itself. Yeah, is it yeah. too good to be true? It's a good like psych psychology sort of heuristics, right? Like. Sometimes it's like we, we, we like to think we can figure everything out through the data but there are certain things the data cannot tell you like like what you just described right the easiness of making money it's so simple man I don't think it's that simple right you know what I mean yeah. right, and sometimes right. you even you even forget yourself or rather you don't even know that you are that 
you, you respond in that way. I, like for me, when I said that my cut loss was at minus 10, I was quite determined to cut loss at minus 10. And I thought that I was a disciplined trader, put it that way. But when it went to minus 10, you know, the, the emotional, uh, overwhelming emotions and all that. And when right. it went to minus 30, I was like cold, you know, I was like, just yeah, I wasn't trembling anymore. I wasn't uh, panicking anymore. I was just like, okay, forget it, uh, done. That's it. And then after that, the whole night, it was just stone, you know, really, really experienced stone. That's yeah. like, I suddenly, you know, it also dawned upon me why people stone when, you know, when a car is about to hit you, at the very moment when it's about to hit you, right, you actually, yeah. you actually scared stiff. You yeah. can't even jump out of the way. You yeah, then you always watch the movies and say, why don't he move? Why don't he move? Yeah, right? yeah. But, <laughs> okay, okay. You know. yeah stiff. So when, when, when the thing went from minus one to minus 10, I was stiff and it went to minus 30. Thankfully, I managed to, just get myself out of that 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 state of you know hypnosis or whatever you call it and just cut. Wow. Yeah, That's so great. it was a, it was a very. Uh, what, were you doing this on margin? Just curious. Was there margin yeah. involved? It, it was always uh, margin and and uh, it was very funny. Okay, that day because the contract was negative, right? There was a glitch. In the poems futures. Philip oh, yeah, Philip's capital using Philip's capital. Okay. Yeah, you know when whenever you buy a contract, right? Let's say if oil is a hundred thousand, right? You put in a ten percent margin, you need to put in ten thousand, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the deposit. But what if oil is minus hundred thousand? What do you do? Then what's your deposit? Minus yeah. ten thousand. That's what exactly the system did. So whenever I put in a buy contract, they deposited some money into my into my account as margin. So weird. You know, like yeah. positive margin. So literally, I could long any number of contract I wanted. There was no limit, regardless of how much money I had inside. And in the end, uh, my losses came out to be four times whatever I had inside. Yeah, so it was a huge. So you had to like top up, lah, essentially. To, yeah, to pay I back. had to top up, and uh, Philip was so afraid that I would just bankrupt, declare myself bankrupt. Thankfully, yeah, I regained my senses. That uh, wow! I'm just, I'm just curious. Does the family know about this story? <laughs> They they know that I made losses. They do okay, know that okay. That's 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 it. That's, that's it. Yeah, that's it, yeah. yeah. Very few people know the extent. Of that's, that. that's let make sure they don't watch this podcast. <laughs> I guess um, <laughs> it's okay. They don't know the amount. Yeah. I will never tell. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay, okay. My wife doesn't watch the podcast. Right, yeah. right, right. Okay, so I I want to I want to move on into like uh be on the personal side of things. But the just last question, right? Play this game with me, right? Three things. To do as an investor and three things not to do. Your three six biggest lessons. Three do's and three don'ts. Three do your homework. Okay. Um, I mean ho- that homework is really it's really yeah. a lot. Yeah. I honestly can't think of any other thing, you know. Three yeah. don'ts, okay, then how about three don'ts? Three, three. Three don'ts, wow, that's, that's more than three actually. Okay. Yeah, just, just don't be complacent, don't throw, and by by the extension, don't be complacent means don't throw everything in one basket. Right? I know it sounds a bit weird when I, when I, when yeah, I bought yeah. a concentrated portfolio, okay. and I say don't throw all your money in one basket. I also believe that when I say do your homework, means when you understand the product very well, or you understand uh, what you're going into, you understand the company very well. You know, like a lot of business owners, they actually put in all their wealth into the business. Yeah. But you don't, you don't really say that they are reckless, right? By putting everything in your business. Yeah. You, but then when somebody puts all their money in four or five companies, you, some people will say, hey, that's being reckless, uh, too concentrated portfolio. But that's because they, they don't, you know, as business owners, you know the company very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, it's not, it's not that I'm, I'm a business owner, I know the company very well, but I know I know the business of the company, I know the management and I trust them because yeah. I've interacted with them. 
I see the financials, I've done my homework, I know you know that the, the odds are in my favor because retail investors are pricing wrongly, not institutional investors are pricing wrongly. Because if institutions are, I mean I always think that I'm not as good as them, I don't have as much resources, right? So if I can convince myself that there's a proper a logical reason why the market is wrong, then I will enter. So don't as in, yeah, the don't be complacent. Yeah, yeah. Don't put, don't don't think that you are you know much more than what other people market, are. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people. Okay, in the market, people always some people always like to say, yeah, I know this thing sure good and cannot be bad. Or oh, oh, and then don't listen to newspapers. Whenever you see newspaper, right, means the news is out. Means it's reactive. Really, you have to be ahead of the news. You cannot be after the news, right? So whenever you see a new the news come out, oh, um. Oil, oil price is going very high because of the Russia-Ukraine war. And then you start saying, oh, I'm going to buy oil stocks. That you are late. slow already. Yeah, too late. Like, you know, fertilizer, uh, food, you know, everybody knows inflation is sorry. And now people say, oh, I want to buy something to protect myself against inflation. Actually, it's a bit late already because now you're previously, you know, if you had bought that protection against inflation, that protection would be very cheap. Now the protection is all priced in already. Yeah, yeah. In fact, now you buy all the protection for inflation. The next thing they say, oh, sorry, because we are having a recession, so we need to cut rates already. And then uh, uh, commodities, ah, uh, we are uh, talking about commodities. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I so, agree with that sentiment. Actually. So the the inflation will come down because of yeah. recession, and then you, eh, I just bought protection into inflation because the newspaper keep telling me to buy, keep telling me about inflation, and I'm so scared. So now yeah. I go and buy protection, then no problem. Yeah, yeah. You, so, you're probably yeah. better off like thinking about things that uh, might not happen. Like, I mean, take for example, um, like there's an anticipation of rate hikes, right? Yeah. You're probably better off thinking of what to buy when the rates actually drop. Probably, mm. right? Something like that. I mean, yeah. That's, that's, that's yeah. One, one way to yeah. think about it, la, of course. Yeah, yeah. Right? What, what, what could go wrong? Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah, then the other don't is, or rather the do or the don't, I mean, depends on yeah, 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 yeah. the confirmation bias. A lot ah. of people, they, they like to they like to buy into a stock and like to confirm that they're right. They like to talk to many friends. Hey, correct, right? I buy this stock. Yeah. And everybody true. start talking about how good the stock is. Then you feel happy, you feel more convinced. Hey, yeah. correct, I made the right decision. But actually, whenever I I mean for me personally, whenever I buy into a company, the next thing other than because I already done all the homework, right? So I already convinced myself to buy. Then the next thing, the next part of the homework is to convince myself why I shouldn't buy, right? Right. See all the things that can possibly go wrong. Like if I bought into a shipping company, can freight rates suddenly crash? You know, if I bought into Ban Center, can a fire burn down the whole Westin Ban? And then after that, my entire investment is gone, or you know whatever. Right. I make sure that there's insurance. So, so on and so forth. So you have to find ways to tell yourself why your investment might go wrong, and then after that, prove that you know these things won't happen, or even if they happen, the risks are mitigated, or management are already aware of the risk. Yeah. So right. always. Try to uh, avoid downside protection. Uh, I think you use the word downside protection, which yeah. is very rare. Uh, I think, I think with like low interest rate environment, what has happened is that there are a lot of people and investors as well who start saying things like, um, you know, like you need to think of upside more, right? Like downside, not that important. I think people like Howard Marks, you know, go out of fashion because of that. Uh, but of course, now he's coming back into fashion, uh, right? Uh, in yeah. this scenario. Um, yeah. Uh, actually, I have just one more question on the investment front is, uh, how do you actually source for ideas? I think that's one thing that personally I've always liked to add to my own personal investments. Like, it's not just about the investment process of finding, uh, like, f- 
find, trying to find what's important, mm. but also mm. how do you get these ideas? Is it through constant reading, talking? You know, how how do you do it? Okay. Uh, so unfortunately, the stocks that I own are uh, by talking to any other people. You don't get the ideas. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, nobody talks. Like, what? Talk yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nobody talks to me about the companies I buy in. So uh, I go A to Z on SGX website. Basically, wow. there I mean three hundred plus companies, right? But along the way, uh, over time, you start to filter up those filter out those companies that you have blacklisted mainly because you think the management is not good, or you know the the share price at that point is not attractive. So every quarter, uh, I mean, it used to be every quarter when the earnings yeah. are out. Now it's every half year. So I'll mm. go A to Z and just uh, so I like on my Poems platform, right? I click on A and look at all the companies, and then I go to the SGX website and then look at yeah. all their company reports, earnings, and then compare the share price versus what I see in the uh, report. And sometimes look at the commentary, right? They they talk about like if there's any impending sale of assets, or they're mm. thinking about restructuring, or they're thinking about paying dividends, or or maybe you know you look at their balance sheet. Suddenly, the uh, customer advances increase a lot. You know, like suddenly your customers pay you a lot more deposits. It means like your business is turning. Then there is like receivables uh, string uh, basically. Yeah, so more profits. Like uh. Yeah, or more cash, more payable things like that. So so you try to look for hints uh, from the balance sheet, from the earnings statement, from the commentary compared to the share price, and then see if there's any potential catalyst behind. And of course, there's also uh, reading the news not to react. According to it, to know what people are thinking, yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, like okay, say for example, the Russia Ukraine war, right? Like before that, there were even there were some rumors talked about it, right? So in your mind, you have to picture like you know, if the Russian Ukraine war happen happens, you know, what what kind of uh drawdown would your stock suffer, or would the business suffer as well, or what kind of companies would benefit? Then you go in and then you you, you prepare for all these situations, right? That's for the right. special situation. Part la. yeah. So that's how I scan through, and then also recently, uh, also like you know, recently I keep reading the news about um China property defaults, Evergrande and so all that, right? Evergrande, yeah, and all that. Shimao recently, and then so you, I know that people start to hate that sector already, and then if you go and screen through, uh, Chinese property companies, right, you will see that they are all trading at very low valuations, right? Because yeah, yeah. And I mean, yeah. there's been so much negative news. I think but it's also me, like a global thing. I'm not sure in Singapore, in Malaysia, so it's very unloved the industry. Oh, so it? I'm just letting you know. You know? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> just in case yeah. you're interested. <laughs> I will. I will be. Yeah. So so because when 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 people talk about all this, when you know when the news flow is all negative, like even free rates back in the 2020s or 2019, 2018, and all that. So then you start to want to uh have a look or or at least know something about it. So like recently, I kept. Uh, screening on Chinese companies, Chinese property companies listed in Hong Kong. I started venturing a bit into Hong Kong. They started looking at Hong Kong listed companies because there are a lot of Chinese developers are there. Yeah. And trying to identify which which are the ones that are uh, underpriced but not going to default. You know, there are a lot of very conservative management who would actually not take up debt for property developments. You know, you might sound that's crazy, right? Where got Chinese developer don't take on debt? For their property development, but I can tell you there are there are a few. Yeah. So yeah. and and they have a uh, you know returned good dividends, paid good dividends, and had had good uh earnings. Yeah. So it's about finding the unloved lah. Yeah. Put it that way. Yeah. So screening yeah. from like to answer your question, how do I get ideas? Screening from A to Z, looking at the news and see which are the unloved things. What what are the things that companies that or industries that are that might be turning or what are the companies uh, industries that people don't like. Uh, companies that are that potentially have catalysts, things like that. Yeah. 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 So just so, to just to finish up, right? So once you 
once you find all these ideas, right, what do you dive yeah. into straight? Like, do you dive into the financials to check whether it's viable or, or like, what, what's your next step? And all the way from that step to actually buying or deciding okay. to buy the stock. Sure. So, firstly, uh, I look at that just to make sure that, you know, uh, the first criteria for me is that the company won't go bankrupt, right? So, right, in right. The, no matter in the worst case scenario, the company won't go bankrupt. Downside so, I, I, right. I take that very seriously. So, I typically don't invest in companies that, uh, you know, if interest rates go to 10% and then suddenly they cannot, they cannot uh, afford to pay the debts. So, that's one thing. Uh, so, I look at the financials, their debt profile must be comfortable. And then, I look at their record of uh, corporate actions. So there are some companies they like to do uh, placement, you know, share placement. Rights uh, issue. That, yeah, exactly. rights issue. That's something that I don't really like. Especially like, I mean, I don't invest in REITs because they are large caps. But I just want to, I mean, for a lot of investors yep, 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 yep. of your podcast, or people who listen to your podcast, right? You have to be very careful. For REIT managers, right? Their, their, their entire income is built upon increasing AUM. The higher their AUM, the more income they get, right? So you buy REITs because you want them to distribute money to you. But then they are managing the REIT because they want to manage more and more money. So if they keep distributing money to you, how can they? And they have to, by Singapore law, I mean they have to distribute ninety percent, right? Mm, then mm. how will they? How will their AUM increase if they keep distributing money to you and they don't take back money? So what happens is you see a lot of not so good REITs. They always like to give you dividends, give you dividends, and then suddenly, oh, they buy something, then they announce a rights issue. Then they, they what's the point? You if you look your at DPS it, your DPS will drop, right? Your your per unit yeah, keep your, diluting, uh. Uh, even then, or, or even your, your DPS don't drop, every year they pay you 5 cents, and then after that, after 5 years, they start to ask you for 50 cents, you know, rights issue. If you don't subscribe, you get diluted. If you subscribe, yeah, yeah, yeah. you get 25 cents, but you pay them back 50 cents. So, so I mean, sorry, sorry, sorry to digress. Yeah, but, so that's why I, I feel that uh, it's important to look at the corporate action of the companies that you invest in, just to make sure that uh, they really are genuine uh, management who, who are aligned with the shareholders. So um, dividends is one thing. I mean, some companies don't pay dividends, then you have to find out why they didn't pay. Is it because they don't want to pay or is it because they couldn't pay or is it because they're prudent, right? You don't, you don't want reckless management just to anyhow pay dividends and eventually go bankrupt. Yeah, so that is also important in my view. So the financials, the management, and then the reasons why this stock is undervalued, there must be a justified reason why this stock is undervalued. And then what are the areas that can possibly go wrong uh, what are the potential catalysts that could occur in the next 12 months? Uh, yeah, because if there are no catalysts, then I must make sure that they Patient. have very good dividend yeah. yield. Yeah. yeah, if there's no dividend yield and no catalyst, then cannot already. That's a good point. If, yeah, if it doubles in 20 years, then you're only earning a what, 3-4% return per annum. Yeah, so, so then, yeah, so all these criteria have to come in and then after that, it's about getting to know management, going to AGM, yeah. calling them yeah. up, See if there's an IR, you know, representative and all that. Yeah. yeah. Good management. Don't think that if you are a small investor, don't think that management won't talk to you. Seriously, even there are a lot of companies that I just buy 1,000 shares and then... Wow. Yeah. I talk to them and just... You just send them an email, right? Like, it's their, they're happy, more than happy to help. Just like, More than happy. Yeah. Sometimes wow. I meet them at AGMs, you know, uh, because of the illiquid nature of uh, companies, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, because of COVID, there I mean, physical AGM stopped for a couple of years. Previously, yeah, 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 I try yeah, to attend yeah. as many AGMs as I can, especially yeah. those that I'm keen, interested in the business, just to know the management and build up a, a relationship. You know, they're happy to give you a name card. And for certain companies that, if you, you know, you have, I have very high conviction, I would go down to China and just to show them my sincerity. 
and they will appreciate that you coming down to visit them and then yeah they will, yeah, they will yeah, be yeah, more yeah. happy yeah, actually so, I think yeah, yeah, yeah sorry uh, sorry go on sorry for cutting you yeah no no worries, no worries yeah so uh so even I think in Malaysia the only company that I ever invested was United Overseas Australia. I mean uh, it was listed in Singapore and Australia. Now they have a subsidiary in, in Malaysia, la, UOA development or something. Yeah, yeah I went, to, Def, went yeah. to KL, yeah, the Bangsa South to to have a look at the place. You know, it was supposed to, it was it used to be a kampong, right? Then they yeah, yeah. they, they redevelop it. And that was the most expensive one of the most expensive <laughs> area. Alibaba, oh, all of them are there, yeah. Oh really? Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, right, yeah it's right. a pandemic. I mean, people were saying Kampong Kerinci. What kind of place is that? Yeah. It used to be very rundown and all that. And then this, this, this guy UOA is like doing a township there. So Correct. went there to have a few and I spoke to management. I was super impressed with management. Yeah, and and yeah, and I mean, I had a meal with the the directors. Yeah, so so all these things uh, will come into play. Uh, as I'm buying, and then sometimes I buy more. Sometimes uh, I mean, there's there's an, there was an occasion when I bought a sizable stake. Actually, I can share. It's China Iratat. Uh, it was I bought a sizable stick and then I went to the AGM and then I look at man I talked to management. Sorry, I came back. I sold everything. Yeah, cause I it was see. really I mean the 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 bad vibes. The vibes. Bad vibes. Yeah, yeah, the vibes yeah. I got. Yeah, I I'm just curious when you approach management, right? What is your style? Because some people like to do the more interrogative style. Some people do the more Peter Lynch style of you know, mm. like being like a student, like hey, you know, Mister mm. Management. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I don't know anything Can you teach me You know, I really want to learn So like, where, where do you sit You know, In terms of your approach Overall approach to management Okay uh, I would say More student style But it's very the, I mean whenever I meet management For the first time right, Most of the time It's at AGMs yeah. And it's very interesting Because the companies I look at Are mainly e-liquid companies So not many people not So it's you asking like, it's, just a, it's, a just, it's just me right And then maybe another Few uh, uncles and aunties You'll be surprised You know Singapore always No matter what company Those ulu ulu company E-liquid company Sure got uncle and auntie Turn up one They'll think Ooh, no, uncle and Dog gift Very kiam How come y'all know About this company uh? Like I spend so much time Researching But then yet Y'all like Actually know this company Is very undervalued uh. Uh, So okay never mind Then I sit through the AGM then, but usually AGM I don't ask anything uh. uh, During the AGM proceedings I don't, I don't like ask anything Because management also Don't dare to say anything Because uh, uh, It's in the midst of AGM Everything is recorded in minutes And they want to get everything done uh. So I usually Sit through the whole AGM And then Right when the, the chairman says Okay uh, You know Thank you the AGM is closed right Suddenly the uncle auntie Rush to the door You know To the buffet uh, to, the, to the food reception Then Like then I'm, the, I'm like the only one Or maybe there's just One more guy with me Then I just walk up To management And then Oh Wow uh, You know And then start to talk about Usually it's very easy to start I always start by saying Like好像没有很多投资者喜欢你的认同你的公司 And not many investors You know Agree your company But but actually, I, I think that There's a lot of value In your company It's just that You know Other people don't see it Then I, I mean Of course I must have done some research lah. Then you know You show that you show management that you care about them, you really care about the business, you did a bit of research, and then you ask them questions that are a bit deeper, lah, put it that way. You know, um, nothing wrong, but usually, you know, when you go to management and ask them, hey, why you never pay dividends this year? Why you pay so little dividends? Can you pay Yeah, it's a, it's a presumptuous question. Lah, right? Yeah, and management will, usually then they give you a standard answer, oh, we need to balance our cash flow requirements, blah, blah, blah. And then, sorry, then at the end of the day, you don't really gain anything out of it. It's yeah. more like, so usually, you know, if you look, dig deep into the business and you, you like say, for example, the steel industry has the steel industry has been bad for so many years. You'll be saying, hey, so much money, so many years, you know, of, of uh, overcapacity. Now with the, you know, government cracking down on uh, environmental 
uh, you know, polluting steel companies? Does it benefit your company in terms of your company? What are the the the, the ESG of? I mean, I mean, that time they don't really use easy yeah, ESG yeah. You just say, you know, what what measures have you taken just to improve the your plant such that it doesn't pollute so much? Then the government won't clamp down on you. If it clamps down on our competitors, then good for you, lah. Put it that way. Yeah, which right. was what happened to Dilong actually. Yeah, and right. couple of here, yeah. So so uh, along that way. Yeah. That, that's really good tips for like people who are like small because I think a lot of people think that well if I'm a tiny fish right like who cares mm. but uh, you know go to small caps lah, you know yeah, there's yeah. a there's a better chance there lah. you yeah, get a lot of information I, is asymmetry lah, actually yes yes actually I want to add that uh, I mean that's just my personal view okay sure, sure, if sure. you if you are a, a retail investor if you don't really have much time you have a full time job I mean some people are so busy with their full time job right uh don't try to pick individual stocks. It's very hard. You know, if you don't have time to research, you pick individual stocks. Most likely, you either get it from your friend recommendation, you get it yeah, from newspaper, get it from analysts. But to be honest, I don't really think that if you, I don't know, if you can try the, your track record. I mean, if you look at your own track record. I'm not sure by following analysts, following friends, or following whoever's recommendation, you can actually achieve uh, superior returns as compared if you were to buy the ETF. You know, just like buy the S&P ETF or STI ETF or whatever. You know, if you just want to buy Singapore stocks, then buy the STI ETF. If you just want to buy the US stock, just, just buy the US yeah. ETF. Yeah. So it, it, it's easier, you know, put it that way. Uh, and I mean, just an additional note also, I, I'm very passionate about uh, financial literacy. Like, I just think yeah. a lot, too many people get, uh, uh, get money lost because of uh, lack of knowledge in certain areas. Like some people still buy into unit trust with 5% sales charges and all that. Seriously, just buy into an ETF, you get into the same fund, same exposure, yeah. but you pay a lot less. So it's just about gaining knowledge, right? I mean, you put in so much time and work, why don't you just also put in a, a good amount of time into learning investments, learning about investing. Yeah. I mean, learning from you guys, la, from hey. MR. <laughs> yeah, learn, learn, about, learn a bit more and then you avoid the pitfalls. There are actually a lot of pitfalls and there are so many traps being laid by, you know, the sharks out there in the world, right? They're trying to earn, you know, big fat commission sales charges and whatever not yeah so yeah i really think that uh, getting educated whether is it uh whether you know retail investors getting educated whether you want to buy into etfs or buy into individual stocks buy into illiquid stocks whatever just just make sure that you know what you are buying into and then you won't feel that why wow, it's such a risky thing and then when the market tanks then you will feel much more comfortable because you have the knowledge yeah. right if you feel secure you know like why some people they are afraid of flying but the pilots will never be afraid of flying because you are, when you're the pilot you know exactly what you're doing if you're not a pilot you're just a passenger somebody else is driving the plane then you always scared that hey, you hear yeah, some yeah. sound only i mean for me like, i used to have fear of flying you hear some sound only actually it's just the baggage drop only pump <laughs> oh shit something some yeah, engine yeah. some engine especially those uh propeller planes <laughs> right yeah yeah, yeah. Like those are the scariest. Yeah. Wow. So if you know what you're doing, you know what you're buying, and then it's all hard-earned money, right, from your work and whatever not, then just put in mm. a bit more effort, you know, uh, education, uh, put in everything. Yeah. Okay, okay. Alright, you know, I really want to talk about your, your you know, in this last segment, more to do with your personal life, right? Now, one yeah. thing that struck me that I need to ask is, you know, as someone who essentially don't have a typical job, right, mm. like a nine to five, stable income, so to speak, right, and then you got a family of two or three, if a uh, family, sorry, family of four, right, I believe, or yeah. five. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How do you manage the finances, right? That's quite a that's that's very different way. Like not many people do that. Uh, so my so it's just my mom, my wife, and my two kids. 
okay. right? Um, they are all quite financial illiterate, put it that way. They all don't really know much about investing. Um, for me, I, I just uh, do it, uh, do a standby trust, uh, you know, like uh, whereby if anything would happen to me, mental incapacity, death, you know, everything will go into a trust and, and, and the trust will manage. Right now, it's just me managing it for them. Um, yeah, and then of course I, I support them whatever I can. Um, but but I, I I strongly believe in financial independence, right? So my mom uh, has her own HDB flat, although she's staying with me at a condo, and my mom has her own HDB flat that uh, is tenanted out for her income. So then my my current house that I'm staying is bought in my wife's name, so that if anything will happen to me, she still has a house to stay with the kids. Yeah, yeah. So then they're safe. Yeah. So I have no house to my name. Uh. Yeah. Something like something like that, lah. So I just try to secure each and every one, and then help them manage if I can. If I cannot, you know, something happens to me, then the trust company will come in and manage. Yeah, and and uh. and I think a lot of people have this misconception that you need to be super rich to be to have this trust. Um, actually, no. I would say if even if you have an insurance policy for one million dollars, put it that way, right? For me, I have two young kids, five year old and one year one year old, right? If something, let's say me and my wife, we always travel together, sit in a car together. You know, something were to happen to us, then. Can't, I can't give my kids $1 million, uh, you know, five years old and one year old, right? Even a guardian comes in, I mean, I don't have siblings, who will come in and take that $1 million and then there, there'll be issues also. You've got the guardian, you also don't know how trustworthy the guardian yeah, is. Yeah, but then you execute it. And, yeah. yeah, you know, they have to pay for your kids' expenses right all the way to their, their university and things like that. So, personally, I, I just feel that even if you have, if you are not so rich, I mean, to set up the trust is about 5 k for me in Singapore to set up trust and then after that it doesn't you don't really have to pay anything uh, much uh, each, each year is like $250 uh, just to maintain wow. it yep. and then if anything happens to me then I have I, I feel safe you know my kids uh, uh, the institution will, will be managing the will finances be managing. Uh. Yeah, yeah nobody will come in to be my kids guardian just because they want the money you know people who come in to be the guardian really will help to take care of the kids they have and a fiduciary they, duty by law and things like that uh. yeah and then they have an income every month to support my kids my kids also don't won't suddenly feel like they are uh, you know super rich kids yeah, I, yeah the other philosophy I have is uh, yeah I don't want my kids to become spoiled so I, I never I told my wife and we have an agreement with this I will not leave anything more than 100k for them you know if even if anything happens to me and my wife yeah it's just about supporting them till university and let them giving them a roof over their heads yeah that's it yeah yeah that's my philosophy yeah so what as a as amazed as i am and i was with your investments i think i'm far more amazed by the amount of money you actually give away now obviously i'm not going to share here but you you were generous enough to share with me how generous you are and uh, and and um, I I know like a you, you are you know you you're a you're a believer right so you're 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 a Christian, and we always told to you know tithe and give ten percent. I can say for a fact that based on what you told me, ten percent is not what you you give away. You give away a lot more, right? More than what I think most people will be comfortable. Especially I think in the Asian context, you know the mindset is always. You know why give away money when you you yourself are not like uh stable yet, and even if you even if you are, why not why you give away so much things like that? Maybe you can keep the money and compound it more and do more with it. So in your case, right, like what are your thoughts about giving away money? Because I know you know it's it's rare like, what you're doing. Right, right. Um, uh, really, I I don't give myself credit for all this uh, uh achievements you can say. Um, but I was lucky. You see, I. 
I didn't I didn't put in that much hard work to discover the structured warrants arbitrage opportunity. I mean there was some work involved, but I'm sure many people have worked harder than me. Um, I I don't believe in good luck. I believe that everything is in God's hands. So right. whatever I have, uh, whatever I had built, it was all given to me by God, right? And just a steward of His money. Yeah. So it's just your turn to manage it, right? Yeah, yeah. And so whatever, because I I feel I've been so fortunate, right? How many people can 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 uh you know say that they don't have to work a, a day of their life right out of university? I mean, you you are I'm already doing full time investing. I have control over my time. There has never been a boss that scolds me and all that. I to that I feel eternally grateful for you know i'm i'm blessed put it that way yeah and all this god has given me and i believe that there must be a everybody has its purpose right i mean some are teachers some are you know healthcare workers yeah. and all that so for me if god has given me a gift in this area um that i have done well so far then um i mean it's only right that uh you know i use his money to glorify his kingdom lah, put it that way yeah and and to to build upon the God's kingdom, yeah. So that's right. that's the whole rationale. So I, um, actually to be to be to be very very honest, okay, I don't even think that whatever I have give is sufficient. Um, I mean, because really really sincerely, because I'm still staying comfortably, right? I'm still living very comfortably. I I still have a, a, a I mean, my whole family is comfortable. You know, I have, um, put it that way. I, like you know, in the Bible, they always have stories between the person who gives it out of his abundance and the person who gave it out of her 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 heart her wealth. Yeah. I yeah. I would say I'm still at a stage where I give it out of abundance. Yeah. So I I feel very blessed. I'm still working to improve. Um. Yeah. But that that's the entire the the philosophy right. behind it. No, any the it is really not not good luck. It is not skill. It is not um. Yeah. It is it is really you know God given a, a gift and i'm just trying to do my best yeah yeah and, and the other thing that uh why i feel that a lot of asians they 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 keep money for their kids because they they, they want to secure their children's future they want to make sure that their children will never be hungry put it that way um, although i i subscribe to a different view i feel that uh, you must let your kids you know have the opportunity to uh, find their own motivation to work you know if you if you start them off uh, at with one million dollars at twenty five years old, then they lose the motivation to climb the corporate. I mean, they will be despising the pay that they get. If they get two thousand five or three thousand dollars a month, they, they will yeah, ah, be nuts. Uh, yeah. yeah, the one meal I put in my bank, three percent interest, I already get thirty k a year. Why? Why would I be bothered with two thousand five hundred dollars a month? Then they will start to complain. You know, they will start to despise their boss and things like, hey, well, you only pay me two thousand five hundred dollars a month. You want to scold me or things like that? You know. So I feel that money harms children. That's my philosophy. So I. I mean, back to what I previously shared, I don't want to leave a big sum of money for them. So then what's the point of keeping so much money? I, I myself don't, don't want to leave that uh, uh, extravagantly. And I think that there's a downside. If you keep staying at five-star hotels, you will never be able to stay at a four-star hotel. If you always stay at a four-star hotel, the moment you step into a five-star hotel, there's this joy. There's this happiness. Yeah. You know, wow, nice. This place is beautiful. But if every day you are, you are in a beautiful place, then you will never find yeah. you know, something more beautiful. So to me, that's a benefit as well. I, I find that in everything, you go step by step, you know, and you don't, you, just because you have the wealth, you start to do things differently. You actually, it actually causes you to have more pain. I don't believe that you actually feel more happy yeah. when you keep spending money. And even that kind of joy is just temporary joy. I think what we need to, I mean, 
someone Jerry Jerry told me there's a difference between pleasure and joy. He said, yeah, if you keep seeking pleasure, then sometimes you don't really have that joy in you. You should be seeking joy instead. Yeah, I think that's that's yeah. very that was a fantastic sharing from Jerry. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing, man. What yeah. what else have you you know learned right in your walk in faith about money? Because I know that um I guess a lot of people who are Christians, right, they are skeptical of money, right? They they think that uh, I mean, you know, to be a to be a priest, let's say, right, you need to like give up everything. And you, you hear, right, being said in the Bible, things like, you know, it's easier for a uh, a camel to go into the eye of a needle rather than a rich man, things like that, right? I'm paraphrasing now, that's not the yeah, full yeah. quote, right? So, of course, um, it's uh, it's hyperbole, right, the, the phrase, but there's a lot of people skeptical, people with the faith that you hold, they're skeptical of, of money and they're afraid of making so much money, right? Well, what is your, what, what's your thought about all this? Um, well, I, I would say, indeed, we have to be careful because wealth does corrupt. It just make you seek pleasure. Because I mean, for me, let's say for example, right, I don't work every day, right. I can I can happily just go enjoy life, you know, go massage or go meet people. And in in fact, there, there's a lot of temptations that come with 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 wealth as well. You can you can do a lot more things. You have a lot more time to do a lot more bad things. I put it that way. So a lot. Firstly, you have to be you have to be disciplined. Um, with your wealth and then you really have to think about uh, how much you need and how much you are how what what can you do with your wealth to make it life meaningful you know money is just something that is i mean at the end of the day uh for meaningful as for me my definition of a meaningful life is to have meaningful relationships right yeah. but if i'm spending money on on things right like on buying things if I, every day i go shopping trying to buy the best stuff then there's no relationship being built yeah, and then if I keep thinking about how to protect this, how to protect my wealth, I buy ten properties across the world, and then every day I have to worry about who manages these properties. Somebody will the call rent, me. Yeah, yeah, the rent and all that. Sometimes you know people think that it's a luxury. You know, you have what ten properties across the globe. You have rental to collect. I, I think that's a headache. You know, like you have so many things to worry about. So really, really, for somebody who's wealthy, I mean, you, you really have to think about how to manage it such that it doesn't affect your ability to build meaningful relationship with other people how to positively influence the world put it that way i mean you can i mean we are all so small but yet in a little way we can all just uh, you know yeah. do our best like uh, make a make a difference yeah my, yeah my my personal motto in life is just to make a positive difference to the people that come across me and and that i mean i'll be happy if at the end of the day yeah. i achieve that yeah you know, last last la- uh, last question I have, right? Then we can call it a session. Um, when you're choosing a, when you're giving away money, right? I think going through that whole like learning how to invest, be good at managing money, and then coming to the realization that you just described, which is you know like things you have to do things that are meaningful, right? Like just accumulating the power of money is actually quite a silly thing, actually. Um, but then that's the then that's the next uh, I guess headache. A good a good headache is how to distribute your money not to your children but to charity to uh, all these other kind of projects um, better is that something that you thought whether it's a foundation and how do you choose maybe like a lot of people in the US right they their mother got cancer so they give a lot of charity to to cancer research or they were offered so then they when they made it then they give it to orphanages what is your take on this sort of like money distribution 
Okay. Uh, interestingly, I, I when I distribute money, just like how I invest in companies, I look for companies that are less well known. So like if you tell uh, me community chess or you know like Red Cross, uh, typically I don't. They have got so much publicity, yeah. so many people are already contributing. I mean these people they are well taken care of. I mean other than like, other than helping out my own church, of course then it's about uh, giving to those who don't have so much attention or simply because the charities don't have resources to do marketing campaigns and so people don't know about them. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I like to uh, uh, source out for all these um, yeah charity organizations. Undervalued undervalued gems. <laughs> Yeah, you. I mean, you could say that. Yeah, and and try to help them as much as possible. And and yeah, right, right. yeah. There are just quite a number of too too many charities that spend too much on marketing and and yeah. too little on the charity itself or on helping itself. That's true. Yeah. So do you want to shout out any of these? Uh, if we can like bring their names up, you know, help them do free marketing. I guess those are like a Singapore come. <laughs> okay. Um. I mean, there's this uh, Eagles Mediation and then those, some charities I've been with them for a long time already. Um, I mean, World Vision is one I do, but World Vision is pretty well known. Yeah, World Vision mm-hmm. with, with the with the kids. Um, and then there's this, uh, wow, sorry, I, I offhand I can remember this too. Sure. Yeah. Sure. There's a couple more, but uh, yeah, a lot of them have been with them for, for a long time already. So it's just a, a, a regular deduction. Yeah. Wow. Well, Ivan, um, part two, perhaps in the future. Sure, sure. Thanks, thanks, MJ. When you uh, make a, you know, make a few more five axes <laughs> and lose a few more, right? <laughs> more axes. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll be looking forward to that. Thank you so much for being on the pod. Uh, yeah. I knew this was going to be a great uh, podcast because you're a very non-typical guest, right? Yeah. You have, uh, I like to think that you have a professional quite a professional attitude to investing even though you are not one per se technically you know on paper so you know that's why i decided to you know really be you guys on and i know the kairos gang you know they will be very really enjoying this because uh, you know as much as you are trying to learn from them uh, they are also learning from you okay actually uh, ivan is uh, not uh, suddenly he's lagging out so I guess, guys, we will call this a session. Apologies as uh, Ivan cannot be here. And guys, if you enjoy this sort of video, remember to give it a like, share it with your friends, follow us on Spotify if you haven't already. And peace.